morning, everybody. Welcome to our Digital Cathedral time this morning. It's time that we all gather in, spend a little bit of time looking at some things that I hope will build up our spiritual life and maybe illuminate some things that we hadn't really thought about from the angle that I want to present it. I want to talk this morning about three words that we all are very familiar with, but three words that I want to, I want to bring just a little bit different slant to that I hope will expand your understanding of, of the Father this morning. I want to start over in John chapter 17 and verse 3. So if you have your Bible handy or you got your pen and, and paper, make sure that uh, you take a few notes, come back, maybe listen to this a second time. <clears throat> we usually cover quite a bit of ground on Sunday mornings, so it doesn't hurt to go back and just look at it once again. And let me just give you my caveat every week. Don't believe things just because I, I tell you or I say that it's so. I teach you out of what I have been shown, what my conviction is, but really it's up to each of us to develop our own beliefs and how we see the Father and what He shows us. So I give you a lot of latitude. I'm not here to tell you this is the way it has to be. I'm not here to tell you believe this way or leave. I'm just simply here to put some things in, in, in motion, put some things on the table. I can teach it, but I cannot understand it for you. You have to understand it for yourself. So whatever level you are in your understanding, you're probably gonna grab the teaching at the Digital Cathedral. And I hope I do it on a level so that you can always continue to expand and that your understanding will continue to increase. That's my goal this morning. John chapter 17 and verse three. Let me just hop over there. I got so busy talking to you right up the front that I didn't get clear over to John 17. John chapter 17 and verse three. All right, we're gonna talk about some good things this morning, so pay close attention. Jesus said this, John chapter 17 and verse 3. And this is eternal life. Let me just say this. The, there's, no, there's no word in the Greek that means eternal in the way that we think of the word eternal as without end or no end to it. There's no, no such word. Um, the word eternal means age abiding or age ending. So it's a, it's, it's a specific time that has a beginning and an end. There's no... No, no Greek word that means eternal in the way that we mean it in our language or our perception today. Now, the, the word life here is the word zoe. It's the God kind of life. So he's saying this is the way that you grab onto this age-abiding life of God. And he says it's like this, and this is life eternal, that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is life eternal. You want to really grab hold of eternal life? It's not praying the prayer. It's not giving money. It's not being disciplined and avoiding sin. The way that you really grab onto this eternal life, this life that is of the Father, is that you get to know Him. I want to talk to you about that this morning. I want to talk to you about getting to know the Father because I don't think there's anything more important in our spiritual life than knowing the Father correctly, seeing Him in the right light. And seeing Him in the right light is an expanding affair. The more you see Him, the more you see that there is to see. So when, when you're talking about a God that is gonna fit these three words this morning, then it's impossible for us to really get to the depths of His being. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an eternal affair. It's an age ending. And then when that age ends, we move into another age. 
And we're going to continue to expand in our understanding and knowledge of God. It's basic. And I don't think there's really much sense in going further until we have this, until we really grab a hold of a firm consciousness on knowing Him. Not just knowing Him intellectually, not just knowing in our mind, but actually come to a place where we're intimately acquainted with Him. Kind of like the place where Paul said, once I was blind, but now I see. And when you see, Every, every level of him, everything that you see about him changes your life. I don't believe you can see him. I don't believe you can get a revelation of the Father without it changing you. Paul, before his conversion, certainly had a concept of the Father. He had an idea of who the Father was. But when he got a revelation, when Jesus appeared to him, Paul's whole life turned upside down. His theology shifted. His view of God changed. And that's the way it happens, y'all. When you see the Father for who he truly is, and what, what's involved in his character as it's expressed to you through Jesus Christ, it changes your life, absolutely will change you. To understand the Father, three words I want to explore this morning. You've heard them, but I want to take it up just a couple notches and perhaps shed some light on some things you should have never really considered before about the Father. I want you to see how big the Father is this morning. I want you to see the expanse that he brings to the table for you to explore. Three words are these omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. Those three words need to become a fixture in your thinking in an expanding relationship with the Father. And again, let me just say, I hope your relationship with the Father is expanding. Don't let it get stagnant. Don't let it get stale. And I would say to you straight out this morning that without an understanding of those three words and the depth that they mean in life, I don't think we can fully walk in union with the Father. Until you understand these three words, and I'm going to define them and, and bring them right into to the, to the arena of life where you live this morning. That's the only way I think they're of value is if we can make these things applicable to the way that we live. These three, these three words are, are the secret to security. These three, these three words are, are the secret to having confidence in the Father. So that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you, you're going to, you're in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have difficulties. But when you walk through, through the difficulty or what David said, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you want to make sure and have confidence, first of all, that he's with you, right? That he's with you. Second of all, that he has the power to get you through the obstacle that you're facing. And third of all, you want to make sure that he has the knowledge. You have confidence in his knowledge, in his ability to know and to guide you in every step to take as you walk through. He didn't say camp out, didn't say stay there. He said, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that you're with me, right? You're riding your staff, his power. They, they comfort you. He knows the steps. He knows the way through. So I want to talk about that this morning. Let's take a brief look at those three words and let me bring them into the arena of life and the implications that they have on us as manifesting sons and daughters of God. Man, this is a great journey. I, I love this revelation of the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. I don't, I, I don't think we can ever get to the end of it. So here, here we go this morning. We're going to look at three words. Let me, let me just start with the word omniscience this morning. The word omniscience means that you have unlimited awareness, unlimited understanding, unlimited knowledge and insight. It's knowing all things at all times about all situations. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, I think is a good word that, that defines this. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight. 
right? He's got full knowledge of everything that's going on at all times, in every place, in every situation, in every circumstance. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We sing hymns about the omniscience of God, how good he is, how all-knowing he is. Teachers teach about the omniscience of God. I hear, I hear teachings about how all-knowing that he is. And then those same people turn right around the next moment and they tell God they have a need. They tell God they have a problem, they have a pain, they have a difficulty, their rent is due, I need a job, I don't have enough money. As if he didn't know. So when you're talking about an omniscient father, what can we tell him that he doesn't already know? If we really believe God knows all things, why would we go to him and moan and groan and gripe and complain about problems we're facing as if he didn't know. As if you're going to go to him and tell him you need the rent, you need a car payment, you need a better paying job. And God goes, he does, you know, a face palm. Oh my gosh, I didn't, I wasn't aware of this. I didn't know you were facing that. I'm sure glad that you came and informed me of this because had you not told me, I would have had no idea you were facing this problem. That's not what omniscience is. Omniscience means he's fully aware actually understands and there's nothing you can tell him about what it is that you're going through that he doesn't already know. All right, let's, let's look at a scripture. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. This is some early teaching uh, that Jesus was giving on the Sermon on the Mount and he's given us some insight about this. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. He's right off the bat, he's saying, what are you worrying about that the Father doesn't already know about? Or why should you not worry about your life? I'll tell you why you shouldn't worry about it. Jesus is saying he's going to get to it here in a couple of verses because the Father already knows about everything. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or about your body. Don't worry about your body. You can't go to him, tell him you've got a sickness, you've got a disease that he doesn't already know about. Now, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do in prayer in just a minute, but just stay with me. I want, I want you to see that we don't have to spend our time bawling, squalling, and pleading to God about a problem we're facing, about a foe that is opposing us, about an enemy that seems to be resisting us. He said, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap. Wow, there goes that teaching on sowing and reaping. <laughs> Nor do they gather into barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you, aren't you more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? What are you, what are you going what, what to solve by worrying about your problems and staying up all night and pacing the floor and telling God you've got a problem, you've got a need, you've got a dilemma? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they don't toil nor spin, and I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? going to take care of those needs. He's already aware, and he tells us that in verse 31. He said, therefore, do not worry, saying, don't worry, saying, don't worry, saying to the Father, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles, the unlearned, seek. That's what they think life is all about. For your heavenly Father, listen, 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 listen. This is omniscience. For your heavenly Father knows that you need 
all these things. So what are we supposed to do? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I just wondered this morning, do we really think we're going to influence God or change his mind or inform him of what our needs are that he doesn't know about? Think about it with me. Where is this omniscient father? Where does he reside? This is why I'm so strong on no separation. When you, when you have a problem, do you think that he's out there in the sky someplace? He's riding around on clouds trying to figure out how to handle the universe? Is that where you see him? You must, whenever you go to him with a problem, that's where you're visualizing him, that he's outside of you and he needs to come and take care of this dilemma. So do you see him out yonder someplace or do you actually see him within you without separation? Do you actually understand that whatever you're going through, he's going through it with you? The darkest night, he's there with you. When Jesus hung on the cross, the Father wasn't out somewhere wandering around trying to figure out what he needed to do. He was with Jesus. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I, I, I'm, I'm learning this 32nd verse. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 32. I, I, I'm learning this. I think I've, I think I've got it down. I, I've been exercising this. Verse 32, for all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Father knows that you have need of all these things. I'm at a place in my life that I understand the Father knows what I need. I'm going to tell you the truth this morning. It's been a long time since I've asked the Father for anything. I haven't asked him for a house, a car, more money. I haven't asked him to take care of me. I haven't asked him for any of those things. I'm fully persuaded that he knows what I need when I need it. I don't have to tell him when I, what I need and how he needs to deliver it. I don't need to inform him. He knows already. That 33rd verse is so powerful, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The only thing that I need to do, the thing that I need to, to be busy about is seeking the kingdom. So when you're seeking the kingdom, what are you seeking actually? When you're seeking the kingdom, there's several little divisions we could get into, but I just, I just want to present this slant. When you're seeking the kingdom, you're actually seeking his solution. You're seeking what he says about this. You're seeking what his answer is. Out of his omniscience, what is he saying to me about the dilemma? Is it, I, don't need to, I don't need to talk to him. I don't need to unwind the problem to him. What I want to know is, what is he, what's the solution? In his omniscience, he has, he has the answer. In his omniscience, he, he has the solution to the problem. So what, what is it that I need to ask the Father to overcome for me? Do I, do I need to ask him to overcome my enemies or to solve my problems? It sounds kind of crazy when you step back and look at it that you're going to an omniscient God and you're saying, God, you don't understand about what I'm going through. You just don't understand my problem. You don't understand the, the dilemmas I'm facing. Yes, he does. He fully does because he's right there in the middle of them with you. So what are we looking for? We're looking for what the answer is. We're looking for the solution. Now hang on with, just follow me through this morning a little bit. But, but shouldn't we just bear linen prayer and shouldn't we just lay our case out? I've been in so many prayer meetings where it's like everybody's a lawyer arguing their case before God, trying to convince him of what to do, how to do it, and when to do it, like we're the omniscient ones and he's coming to the table totally clueless. 
All right, let's look, let's, let's look at a passage of scripture that we, we have utilized, I think, in a very wrong way in days gone by. Matthew chapter 7, and let me read verses 7 to 11. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to those that ask him? Now, what are the good things that we're looking for? What is it we're seeking? What is it we're knocking for? What is it that we're wanting to be open to us? Let me suggest, let me suggest, let me just back up a minute. We've looked at that looked at that little passage of scripture right there like man we need to pound the heavens we need to be persistent we need to just keep hammering him and and let him know what our needs are ask seek knock all right all right let me just spin this a little bit for you let me suggest that the attitude of prayer is to listen what we're seeking is the answer what we're knocking and want, wanting to be open to us is the solution. It's not letting him know what the problem is. It's not arguing our case so hard that God throws his hands in the air and says, all right, because you have argued this like a, like an, a defense attorney, I'm going to do something for you. Actually, I have nothing to tell God that he doesn't already know. I have nothing to express to my father that he doesn't already have care and concern on my behalf to express to me. So when that we read that passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 7 through 11, let me just suggest to you, you change your strategy. Instead of hammering on the problem, arguing to God the problem that you need help, I would suggest that you start seeking his answer, knocking, and it will be open to you. He will open the solution. I don't think we have spent enough time listening. Most prayer time is spent talking. I've been in a lot of prayer groups, led a lot of prayer groups. And here's what we do. We take prayer requests. What are the needs? What do we need to take to God in prayer today? Oh, pray for Aunt Sally. She's sick. And Brother George, he needs a job. So we go to God and we just lay out all these problems. All these problems. Like he doesn't know. Like he's not concerned. He's not aware. Jesus said something kind of mind-blowing. He said, he said one time, he said, do you guys honestly think that God's going to hear you because of your much speaking? Do you actually think God's going to hear you because you just hammer, 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 hammer on the problems? I'm going to suggest to you that my asking, my seeking, my knocking is listening. I'm listening for the answer. I'm listening quietly to what he says. Let me read that eighth verse again out of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, let, let, me, let me read this eighth verse. It says, for everyone who asks receives. The one who asks for the answer, who asks for the solution, who asks to be shown, what is it that I need to, to do? What is it I need to, to follow through with? He who seeks the answer, he who seeks the solution will find it. And to him who knocks and says, open my understanding, open, open my eyes to see as you see. That one, it, they will find that it is open. So when you, when you receive, when you find, when it's opened, it's, 
It's the mind and it's the word of him who knows all things. I know I'm, I'm, I'm taking this down a road you probably never considered before. Never heard this in church. Here's the, here's the thing. We become instruments through which the voice of God flows. God, God wants to give you the solution. He wants to give you the answer. The attitude of prayer is to listen. It's not to talk. It's not to lay your problems out. It's not to argue your case telling God what he should do, how he should do it, and when he should do it. I, I've been there so many times. And I'm telling you, it's not very productive. It's not very fruitful. Let's look at Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 49. John chapter 12. And let's read one verse. John chapter 12 and verse 49. Then we're going to go over to John chapter 14. But let me read this 49th verse first. Jesus said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. Jesus listened to what the command was. He gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Jesus didn't go to the Father and say, man, I, I need to know what, how to handle it. I need to know what to say about this. He said, I'm, I'm going to the Father and I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm seeking. I'm knocking. And he opened it to me. He told me what to say. He told me what the answer would be. And in John chapter 14 and in verse 10, he said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. Again, Jesus is laying it out. He's saying, here's the, here's the way I spent my time with the Father. I spent it listening. It's the Father in me, he does the works. It's, he, it's, not, it's not the God way out in the clouds that's going to come meet my need as I hammer him to, as I beg him and beseech him and show him how bad and deep and terrible this problem is. He said, it's the Father in me. He does the works. Jesus made himself open. He made himself receptive to what the Father was saying. We receive the same way from the Father that Jesus did. We listen. We listen. Hearing his voice to you about a circumstance, when, you, when, when you're... Man, this makes you fearless. I hope I can express it this morning. When you're, when you're in your prayer time and you're listening, you're not, you're not verbalizing, you're not chatting, you're not telling God what to do, you're not telling God he better get on the ball. You're just listening. And he speaks to you and says, here, here's what, like he did Jesus, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to say. Here's the way I want you to address this. Here's the way I want you to walk through this. You know what that does? That makes you fearless. It makes you fearless because you're hearing from the mind of one you're hearing from the mind of one that is omniscient. In sonship, there's absolutely no place for egotism. There's no place for me to say, look, this is the way it's got to be. I, I don't need to tell the Father what to do. I know I'm hammering on this this morning because this is how we spend our time in prayer and we've ignored the omniscience of God. We have stood back and said, yes, God is all-knowing. But then as soon as we get that out our lips, and I've, I've heard this taught so many times, the next thing we would call a prayer meeting and we'd just hammer God with all our problems, all our needs, all our dilemmas, all the things that have baffled us. And we, and we just go over it and over it and over it. We pray for Aunt Susie and her rheumatism. We tell God Aunt Susie's suffering. God, we need you to help Aunt, Aunt Susie. We, we, we need to pray for the solution. It's humbling to know, like Jesus that we of our own self can do nothing. 
It's as he speaks to us, as he reveals to us. I knock for answers. I seek for solution. If we really believe that he alone is omniscient, see our days of, of bawling and squalling about what we want, the days of trying to influence God, trying to twist his arm through fasting. And don't tell me you haven't thought that when you fast, you're going to move God. Do you think God is moved by you're not eating a Big Mac and fries for 30 days? I've been there. I've, I've fasted. I have fasted. I think the longest fast I've ever done is 14 days. I know what it feels like. I know what you go through. I know the body response. And always in your mind, you think, God, you're, you got to hear me through this. You, you, you got to understand. I'm really, I'm really fasting for revival in my church. I'm fasting for, for people to get saved, you know, revival in the city. If you're faithful to his omniscience, it's going to radically change you inside. If you can, if you can rest in his full knowledge of every situation, and his knowing the best way to approach it. And you come before him and say, Father, I'm looking for your answer. I'm looking for your word in this. You, you know what it is. You know all the ramifications. You know it you know far better than I do. So I'm just, I'm just listening. I'm in a mode of, of saying, show me, reveal to me. It's, it's, you're no longer be tempted to tell him anything <laughs> because you understand he already knows or to do anything on your own. It's hard to do, I know it's hard to do. It's hard not because we've been conditioned this way to go to him, lay out all of our needs, get up out of our prayer time and go do something that we think will make it better. You're gonna become, listen, you're gonna become this clear window pane through which the light of God simply shines, through which the light of God simply flows, unobstructed. And as it flows unobstructed, you're going, you're going to hear what he has to say. All right. So omniscience is big. I hope I hope I took that and just kind of broke it down for you a little bit. That will help you to know how we need to come before the Father. Not like he doesn't know and like we got to inform him and tell him. All right, omnipotence. Omnipotence means that he has unlimited power. That he is the absolute power. There's no power outside of him. There's one power. It's him. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said to the disciples just before he ascended, he said, I give to you all authority. King James Version says power. It's the word exousia. I think it's best defined as authority, but it's used interchangeably a few times as power or authority. King James says power. It's the, it's the authority to manifest in the earth and it's, it's, it's spirit power. He said, all authority has been given to me. All power has been given to me. Let me read just another this scripture. This scripture just pops in my mind. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I think I'll pick it up at about verse 28. Because this is going to explain some things this morning. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Paul said this. He said, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. How did Paul know that? How did Paul know that everything's going to work to his benefit? For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Right. His power foreknew, and the power that foreknew predestined every son to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those that he justified, he glorified. What do we say to these things? If God is for us, 
if God is forced, he's just acted in on, on an omnipotent way, his power working, his power saying everything's going to work together for your good if you'll just hold on. If you'll understand my omniscience and listen to the answers that I give to you, I'll walk you through this valley. I'll give you the answer. I'll un, I'll unwind it for you. I'll untangle it for you so that you can see exactly how to respond. And then he, he just lays out how omnipotent he is by foreknowing, predestining, conforming, uh, calling, justifying, glorifying. And so finally, what do we say to all these things? What do we say is that if God is for us, who can be against us? Very few people. I'm going to just shoot you straight this morning. I'm going to tell you why. Very few people actually believe that God is omnipotent. And here's why. That he's all powerful. He actually is all powerful. Here's why. Because it eliminates every other power. It absolutely eliminates every other power. You can't scapegoat the devil now. You can't say the devil made me do it. He overpowered me devil was too strong. I couldn't, I couldn't, you can't scapegoat on other people. It'll, when you say that he is omnipotent, you're saying that there's one power. If we really believe that he's omnipotent, if he has hundred percent power, let me ask you this morning, how much power does anything else have? If he has hundred percent of it, how much does anything else have? Let me hit that 31st verse again and verse 37 out of Romans chapter eight. The 31st says, what do we say to all these things? If God is for us, what power can be against us? What power can subdue you? What power can get you out of the mode of living that God has predestined you and called you and justified and glorified you to fulfill? Verse 37 says, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. How can we say that? Because he's the one that contains the power. What, what power? <clears throat> What power is there that you need to go to the Father and ask Him to defeat? What power is there? How about the power of lack? My God shall supply all your, your needs. There's no, there's no power in lack. How about the power of darkness? No, He said He's the light of the world, and He said you're the light of the world. Darkness has no power. The power that darkness has is the power that you give it. If anything has power then the Father is not omnipotent. He has given, he has, Jesus on all authority has been given to me. I'm going to give you authority and here's what I want you to do. Here's what, here's what happens in life and the church is so strong about this. We give power to things that have no power. The devil has been, rendered, whatever your concept of the devil is, from whether it's just your imagination or you actually think it's an entity or a guy in a red suit running around with a pitchfork and a long tail. What, whatever you think the power of the devil is, it's been annihilated. Jesus totally defeated it at the cross. So whatever you want to call, I don't care how you what, how you want to designate it. It has no power. But the power it has is the power we give it. And here's what happens in the church: when universally something is given power that has no power, all of a sudden that which is powerless that we have created has a has has tremendous power, becomes a strong adversary. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he said, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So whatever you think the power of the enemy is, you've been given power over it. You've been given power to put it under your feet. If you want something to meditate about, I want you to meditate about omniscience and omnipotence. All-knowing, 
and all-powerful, and that one resides in you. And I want you to meditate on that until it renews your mind. It will change you. It'll change everything about people that come to you with their problems. When you're speaking on behalf of an all-knowing, all-powerful Father, it changes your outlook. It changes the answers that you give to people. When this thing moves from your heart, so you understand this in your heart, you're saying, yes, yes, yes. I, I believe that he's all-powerful. I believe he's all-knowing. When it moves from your heart and your mind is renewed to it, I'm telling you, your days of fear are over. Your days of insecurity. When you know that an omniscient, omnipotent father has you right in the palm of his hand and no man can take you out of the palm of his hand, your day of insecurity and lack and fighting the devil, whatever you think he is, those days are behind you. You're now fully confident that you've been infused with something that is way beyond your natural ability to do. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. <clears throat> I like to give you a lot of scripture. You know me. When I run through this stuff, I like to, I like to give you scripture because we're used to that, aren't we? We're used, this is how we make it legal. This, this is how we prove our point. We got to have some scripture to back it up. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 19. Let me get a couple of chapters here. And verse 26. Omnipotence. 19 and verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's omnipotence. We're, we're dealing with the one that lives inside of you has within his power, within his grasp, not only the knowledge of all things, but the power over all things. Now with men it's Im impossible. But you're not walking as a man. You're walking as a son of God. You're walking as one who has the omnipotent, omniscient God dwelling within him. All right, let me, let me just hit this last one real quick. Omnipresence. Omnipresence. We saw that omniscience is having full, absolute, complete knowledge of every situation that alleviates us of having to go to God and say, God, here's the problem. Let me just lay the problem out. You don't understand all the, all the ins and outs of this, how tangled it is. God, I, you, you got you to do something about this. He already knows. And then he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. There's no, there is no power but him. There's one power in the universe that has the ultimate power, and it's the God we serve, the one that lives inside of you. And I'm trying to get you to see this morning that what he has, he has put within you so that you have every right to ask, seek, and knock for the solution. You have every right to ask, seek, and knock for the answer. You don't have to, you don't have to go to him with the problem and then want the solution. You can spend your time listening. If we would do less talking and more listening, we would get the insight, we'd get the revelation to walk as Jesus walked where we can say, I don't speak my own words. I only speak what I hear him speak. I don't do my own work. I only do what I see him do. Jesus was saying, I'm doing that out of revelation. I'm doing that out of disclosure. I'm doing it as the spirit within me opens up to what the Father is actually saying. So omnipresence means that he's everywhere, in all places, and in all things, at all times. There is nowhere where he is not. In Psalm 139, uh, what is it, verses 7 through 10, <clears throat> I won't take time to read it, but it says, no matter where I go, there you are. If I go to the highest heights, you're there. If I go to the 
deepest depths, you're there. If I go to the desert, you're there. Wherever I move, wherever I, I find myself, you're already there ahead of me. He's omnipresent. In, in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul brings a lot of this out of the Old Testament, brings it right into the New Testament. Here's his presence. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. In him, there's no place he's not. In him, everything holds together. Everything is already within him. Omnipresent. You cannot get outside of him. <laughs> we've, we've strove for years in the church to try to get in him. He's already, he's already got you in him. There's nothing outside of him. It's confidence in his perpetual, absolute, 24-7 presence at all times. You know what that does? Man, this is good. When you're absolutely confident in, of, of his absolute 24-7 presence at all times, it removes all fear. Perfect love casts out fear. God is perfect love. When you're aware, when you're aware that he is always with you, that you cannot escape him, that he's not going to go off and leave you someplace, you're no longer fearful. The only reason we fear is because we feel outside of his presence. Now, what you have to do is tell your mind, shut up. Your mind's going to tell you you're outside of God's presence. The truth is you're not. Your mind is going to tell you that you are. And when you feel that you are, when your senses tell you, when you don't feel his presence, that's when you become fearful. If you know, when, if you're going to the hospital, if, you, if you're going for surgery, you need to know he's on the table with you. He's guiding the surgeon's hands. He's surrounding that whole operating room. His, his, his presence has to fill it all because everything is within him. So when we feel out of his presence is fearful because then it puts all the responsibility on me to handle it. And I'm not prepared to be omniscient. I'm not prepared to be omnipotent. When I don't feel his presence, the other two spring off of his presence. When I'm aware of his presence, it's so much easier to know that he's all powerful and he's all knowing. When I sense his presence, see, when I sense his presence, and here's where you need to spend time with him until you can walk in that presence 24-7, until with just, just the blink of an eye, the nod of the head, you recognize that he's there. You don't have to get yourself all quiet. You don't have to fast lunch. You don't have to go before him and beg him to come. You can become so aware of his presence that when something pops up unexpected during the day, you can go to him and say, Father, what's the solution? What's the answer to this? How do I react? What, what do I need to do? Because you know that he's right there. You have absolute supreme confidence in his presence. So if you find yourself in some deep, uncontrollable doo-doo, what do you have to bring to the table? You have nothing to bring to the table. You're fully aware of your limitations. You're fully aware that you can't do it all. And that's what brings us the insecurity. That's what brings us the fear that, that makes us anxious, that makes us uptight. Now, on the other side of the coin, see, you're, we've all been there, haven't we? We've been, we've been faced with stuff, man. We go, man, I don't know what to do about this. We, we sweat it out. We worry. We're anxious. We can't go to sleep at night. And really, Jesus said, what can you add by your worry. Nobody can make himself taller, bigger, better, stronger by worry. Now on the other side of the coin, if you're firmly in the hands, if you, if you have renewed your mind, if you, if you have spent enough time alone with the Father that you know, that you know, that you know, that you are safely in the hands 
of an omniscient, all-knowing, knows all the ins and outs, an omnipotent, full power, no other power in the universe but him, omnipresent, he's always with you, never leaves, always surrounds, you cannot get outside of him, you, you become encased in that, you become encased in that, then you begin to get Romans 8, 28. All things now work together for good to those that are the called, that's you, according to his purpose, according to his purpose. So what we're, what we're what, look, what I'm moving you into this morning is discerning what the purpose of God is. When you discern what the purpose of God is through his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence, when you're in that groove, that you're in his, you're surrounded by him, you're just living out of his presence, you're living out of his power, you're living out of his knowledge, the mind of Christ, that's what the mind of Christ is. The mind of Christ is omniscient. The mind of Christ knows how to tap the power, how to, how to be within his presence at all times. See, the all-knowing, the all-knowing sees the end from the beginning. The all-powerful does not give power to any other entity. He may delegate for a time. He's delegated to us the power to, to rule and reign on the earth. But any power that we have is just an extension of his power. It's not our power. And when you know that the presence, whose presence surrounds us, that cannot be removed, that cannot be escaped from, says, I have you. I have you. And even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to be there. I'm going to prepare a table before you right in the presence of those forces or those people that are, would appear to be your enemies. And you know what? They, they, cannot, they cannot upset the table. They can't tip the table over. All they can do is watch you pull up to the table and feast on the solution. Feast on knowing that I have the power to take you through that valley. Feast on the fact that I'm always with you. Like Jesus hung on the cross, he finally came to the conclusion, after he quoted Psalm 22, came to the conclusion that, God, you've always been with me. You've never, you've never left me. Jesus even said that in his earthly ministry. The Father's always with me. Always with me. So these three words, the omniscience, the omnipotence, the omnipresence, they keep working back and forth. And I want you to recognize when they're working in your life. I want you to recognize when you're driving to the doctor, you don't know what to do. You don't know what answers to give. And you're just wait, you're just quiet. You're not crying. You're not begging and pleading God that you need help. You're just quiet. You're listening. You're confident in him. You can live the abundant life that has been freely given to you. I, I, I maintain we can live it 24-7. We're moving into that. We're moving into that. Now, I... I was going to do another whole teaching on this, but I don't think I'm going to. But I want to point a couple things out. I was going to do another teaching about what the Father knows about you that will give us that kind of security that uses the three O's, the big O's, the omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence of the Father to let us know that you're always on his mind, that you're always there. I had 12 things that I had listed out that just disclosed to us. So I, I'm not going to... I don't have time to do a lot of teaching on this, so let me just list them out. I want to leave you this morning with the impression that the Father cares about everything that you face, so much so that he already knows about it, so much so that he already has the solution, so much so that he has empowered you to be able to fulfill the plan when he reveals it to you, so much so that you know that his presence is always with you. Let me just, get, let me just kind of list these off for you, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull the train into the station. 
For example, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that he knows every little detail of my life. That's number one. Number two, he knows your beginning. He knew you, Jeremiah said, before you were even conceived. He knew you. He knew your beginning. This is how much he actually knows. He knows your relationship with him, number three. And he comes to you and gives you a witness of the spirit with your spirit that you are a son of God. Number four, he knows your name. He doesn't, he doesn't see us just as one big, massive humanity. He knows each of us individually. Is it Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, 18, somewhere right in there? He, he knows my name so much, so he put it on the palm of his hand so that I'm always before him. He knows your heart, number five. People misunderstand you. They misunderstand your motives. But the Father knows the motives of your heart. Your Father knows your heart. That's how intimately acquainted he is with you. He knows your thoughts. He knows that he can take your thoughts and he knows your needs before you even ask. He knows the thoughts. He knows when, you, when you're facing something, how perplexed you might be by it. He already is fully aware of it. He, he, he doesn't just know your thoughts. He understands your thoughts. He understands all the implications of all that you think. Number seven, he knows your worries. And so he tells you, don't take thought for your life. He says, cast all your care on me because I'm concerned about you. He knows the things that we worry about. Number eight, he knows your actions. And he sees every action of your life through the lens of love and acceptance. Even when you think you've messed up, he knows your words. He knows the words that you speak and he teaches us to use those words to be a creative force as we speak out of the abundance of our heart. He knows our words. Number, number 10, he knows my ways. He knows my ways. We make plans. We make plans, but the Father directs the steps and the ways. Number 11, he knows my weaknesses. He's so intimately acquainted with me. He knows every weakness I have. You know what he does? He takes that weakness and gives me grace every day. Until one time, until finally I come to the conclusion, you know what, that in my weakness, I am strong, that my weakness can become my greatest strength because no longer am I trusting in my knowledge, my power, or my own presence and dilemma or, or ability to get things done. I'm seeing him as the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent one. So I, he takes my weakness because my weakness is where I have to depend and rely and rest back in him. And he makes that weakness my strongest point. Number 12, he knows my days. He knows my days. He knows all of my days, even before I lived one of them out. He knows every day that you've got for the rest of your life. So what are the, these verses, these 12 thoughts, those are 12 thoughts. And I just wanted to, to bring those in. I was going to do a whole teaching on those 12. I just wanted to bring in, I, we got to keep going. There's so much to cover. I just wanted to bring it and let the, you know that the God of the universe demonstrates his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence in your daily life, in the way that you express yourself. He's the God of the universe. All things are upheld by the power of his word, and yet he's a personal father to all of us. He's so intimate, he never lets us go. And I want you to begin to recognize when he's, his omniscience gives you the solution, and you go, okay, I got it. I see the light on it. His power brings you through. He gives you the strength to walk through the valley. 
and his presence is always with you at all times. I want you to begin to recognize those because as manifesting sons, this is what gives us the confidence. This is what gives us the security. This, was a, this is what enables us when people come to us with their problems and people are gonna to come to you, they're coming out of religion by the scores and they're gonna to wanna to know about why this and why that and how come this. You, you need to be able to draw on the omniscience of a father and you need to have full assurance and I say this in closing, that God is good and he's good all the time, so much so that his omniscience, his omnipotence and his omnipresence are going to make everything work together for good in your life because you are the called and you are the called according to his purpose. Amen. All right, now let me tell you about next Sunday morning. This is going to be a special morning next Sunday morning. Next Sunday might be a good time to invite some friends over to the Digital Cathedral because I'm going to go to John chapter 3 and I'm going to talk about Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and that born again thing. What does that mean? What was Jesus talking about? What was Jesus driving at? And what was Nicodemus seeking? We're going to talk about John chapter 3. We're working our way through the book of John. Just drop it. I'm going to drop one more teaching in on that on being born again. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be interesting, going to be good. Invite somebody to the Digital Cathedral. Let me say again, thank you for being with me today. God bless all of you for making this journey with me. It's a great journey, and we're not making it alone. We're making it with an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent Father that knows the number of hairs on your head, the days of the life that you're going to live, every thought that you think, every worry that you have, and he's going to meet every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for being with me at the Digital Cathedral. See you Wednesday night, Secret Place. Back next Sunday morning, John chapter 3, about being born again. We'll see you then. God bless.